wanted to share with you about um, God's kingdom as a kingdom of mercy. Um, and I just, uh, it's amazing when we think of Jesus that he came from heaven to earth to make a way for us to understand what God's kingdom is about and, and the nature of God's kingdom. And he did that in the way that he lived his life and his relationships and what he said to people and how he interacted with people. He demonstrated a wonderful sense of his mercy in every way. I don't know about you, have you ever been shown mercy or kindness before when you haven't deserved it? Um, has someone ever let you off the hook when maybe you shouldn't have been allowed off the hook? I think forgiveness is a, an incredibly precious gift that we can give to anyone because it is exactly that. It's a gift. It's something that someone doesn't deserve, but it's the most amazing thing when you get forgiven when you don't deserve it. And I also believe that forgiveness is also the most powerful evidence that we're starting to become mature and more Christ-like. You know, sometimes we think of our spirituality as being seen in how much we... Am I feeding back school? Our spirituality can be seen in how much we, we pray in tongues or we do this things that seem very spiritual. But the Bible says those things are clanging gongs to God. The thing that really is a true measure of our spirituality is our love and our ability to forgive and live with others. And uh, I was thinking this week with um, that wonderful, our wonderful leader um, in South Africa, Nelson Mandela, and uh, celebrating his 95th birthday this past week. And what an amazing man and an example of forgiveness that he is. And I, I just, when I think of his life, my, my heart just really overflows with thankfulness that God gave South Africa such an, uh, um, a man who understood the power of forgiveness and actually turned a country from the potential of civil war to restoration and, and um reconciliation and healing because I, I really believe a bitter unforgiving man would only have brought revenge and violence in that nation and I think we should thank God when leaders understand his kingdom way and I, I was chatting with Chris before the meeting and how amazing it is even when people who aren't Christians live in God's way isn't that amazing that is real evidence of God's supernatural at work but before we carry on looking at this thing of a, a kingdom of mercy, um, I'm just going to ask Mike, who's going to put up a clip. This is um, about, it's a clip set in a courtroom of a convicted murderer. He murdered a number of young people, and um, he sits there and he, he listens to the recrimination from the victim's family as they say some things to him at the end of the trial. And then I want you to watch his face as one of the children, one of the girls who, who was murdered, as her father comes up with a different spirit. I don't know about you, but that is a very powerful and moving clip of, of someone who doesn't deserve to be forgiven, and yet that man is able to do what God requires, and that is to forgive. I want to just read um, Isaiah 61, verse 1 to 4. If you have your Bibles, you might want to turn there. Um, this is the prophet Isaiah describing Jesus and his ministry hundreds of years before Jesus even came to be with us. 
and speaking, this is as if Jesus is speaking, the Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to preach good tidings to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison to those who are bound, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn, to console those who mourn in Zion, to give them beauty for ashes, the oil of joy for mourning, the garments of praise for the spirit of heaviness, that they may be called trees of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he may be glorified. It's very interesting if you notice those that Jesus came to minister to. It describes there, it says, he came to minister to the poor, to the brokenhearted, to those who find themselves captive and bound up in prison. Um, He came to preach to those who mourn and who grieve and those who have a heavy heart. And does that describe any of, of you today, any of those things? Because the Lord is here just as he was when he came to earth. He's here by his spirit. And he is, his anointing and his presence is here with us today to say that if you are bound up, if you are broken hearted, if you are feeling in despair, if you are feeling that you are poor in, in ways that you need his provision in your life, he says, I'm here. And this is his promise to us. He says he's going to bring you good news where you've been expecting bad news. He's going to heal you where you've been hurting. He wants to come and set you free where you've been bound up and held captive. And he wants to comfort you in those places where you've been grieving. And he says he bestows beauty, joy, and praises into your heart where maybe those things have not been there for a long time. Because God, he is a good king, and his kingdom is a kingdom of mercy. And you know, those are all wonderful qualities of of mercy, aren't they? There's this wonderful exchange that happens when we come to the cross. When we come to the cross of Jesus, we say, Lord, here's my brokenness. And he says, take my healing. Say, Lord, here's my despair. I can't see a way forward. And he says, take my hope. It's the most wonderful exchange. We give him all our negative things, and he gives us so much mercy and grace and healing and hope. But there's a reason why he does it, and it's in verse 4 of that Isaiah 61 passage. It says, And they shall rebuild the old ruins, they shall raise up the former desolations, and they shall repair the ruined cities, the desolations of many generations. See, I believe God takes us out of our brokenness. He helps us to turn around from our our sinful ways, and he transforms us so that we can be part of helping to build his kingdom his kingdom of mercy. So not only does he restore us and he gives us this wonderful exchange, but he gives us dignity and purpose in our lives, a new purpose. You see, for every single one of us, when God begins to heal you, when he begins to restore brokenness in your life and break you from free from captivity, he is saying, I want you to be part of building broken relationships. I want you to be part of restoring troubled families. I want you to be part of healing the rifts. I want you to be one who brings me glory by being a people of mercy. So 
I want to ask all of us this morning, and I know sometimes we, we like to listen to the word and it's, we can listen to it like that, but I really feel God wants to come and speak to us so directly and personally for each of us to say, Lord, what is it for me this morning? What is it for you? What area in your life does the Lord want to transform and heal? You know what? I think I'm pretty sure the area that you're struggling most in is the area where he wants to bring the greatest blessing in your life. And the devil wants to keep you in that place that's bound up and broken and hurting. And there almost needs to be an amazing courage to let go and say, God, I want to invite you into that painful place in my life. I want to invite you there to come and bring your mercy into that place where I'm really, really struggling. And uh, it's very interesting in Hebrews, um, the writer to the Hebrews, he says these very powerful words. He says, don't let sin harden your heart so that you miss the grace of God and instead that a root of bitterness springs up in you, which, which the word says defiles you and it, it hurts those around you. You know, so often when we are broken, when we are grieving, when we are downhearted, it's so easy for our hearts to become hardened. And we say, actually, I'm not letting anyone in. It's too sore. I'm not going to bend or, or change. And that is the place where we can miss what God wants to do in our life, the amazing transforming power, because we just begin to block him. And this morning, the invitation to you is don't harden your hearts. Hebrews says, today, if you hear his voice, soften your hearts and, and respond to him. So... I know that sometimes with ministry, it's wonderful to call people forward in response. But I want to say to you, if the Holy Spirit is right now saying to you, this thing, I want to bring liberty, just invite him in your spirit. Right, Why are you sitting and saying, Lord, I need to be set free in this area. I need your transforming. I need to make an exchange with you this morning. If you've got your Bibles, maybe you can turn to a very wonderful story, which I'm sure you all know. It's in the New Testament, in the Gospel of Matthew, um, verse 18 to tw- chapter 18, verse 21 to 35. And the Gospel of Matthew is a wonderful book, which t- talks about what the kingdom of God is like. And uh, this story is something that Jesus told to help tell his disciples something about the kingdom of mercy that he came from. So verse 21 says, Then Peter came to him, to Jesus, and he said, Lord, how often shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? Up to seven times? And Jesus said to him, I do not say to you up to seven times, but up to seventy times seven. You see, Peter was saying, Should I just Seven was a perfect number. It meant I was fulfilling the law. Shall I just do what the law requires and forgive a person? Jesus says, no, you go beyond the law. You go 70 times seven. You go to that that supernatural place that's not, you can't do in your own strength. That's the kind of forgiveness I'm asking of you. And Jesus went on to say, he says, Therefore the kingdom of heaven is like a certain king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. And when he had begun to settle accounts, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. But as he was not able to pay, his master commanded that he be sold with his wife and children and all that he had 
and let payment be made. Then the servant fell before him, saying, Master, have patience with me, I will pay you all. Then the master of that servant was moved with compassion, released him, and forgave him the debt. But the servant went out and found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. And he laid his hands on him and took him by the throat, saying, Pay me what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down at his feet and begging him, saying, Have patience with me, I pay, I will pay you all. And he would not, but went and threw him into prison till he should pay the debt. So when his fellow servants saw what they had, what had been done, they were very grieved, and they came and told their master all that had been done. Then his master, after he had called him, said to him, You wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you begged me. Should you not also have had compassion on your fellow servants, just as I had compassion on you? And his master was angry and delivered him to the torturers until he should pay all that was due to him. So my heavenly Father also will do to you if each of you from his heart does not forgive his brother his trespasses. Quite a a sobering and challenging story. And in this parable, Jesus said said that a talent, which is basically a weight in silver, um, was what the the man owed was 10,000 talents. And the equivalent of that would have been the whole national income of Israel in those days. It would have been millions and millions of whatever their their currency was. It was a huge debt. Um, And uh, I think when you have a debt like that and you have no means to pay it, you are literally a slave to that person that you owe that debt to. But in the stories, the amazing thing is this king has mercy on him and he completely wipes away all that debt. I don't know if any of you have been in in debt. Uh, It's not a very nice feeling to work hard and feel like you're doing everything you can and all you're just doing is paying off the interest. Well, I had a a credit card debt and um, it seemed to be taking years and years to pay this off and uh, I worked very hard and I would put money in but it it was just going so slowly and it was just feeling, it was always a burden around my neck just feeling that I had to get this credit card debt off my my back. And um, one evening I, I got a call from my dad um, and he said that he had deposited some money in my account for exactly the amount that I had been in debt in my credit card for, and I don't know what I don't know whether to laugh or cry. It was just the most amazing gift that I was was out of the blue, totally unexpected. But to have that off my ch- chest, to know that that thing was settled, just completely was amazing. I, I felt such gratitude, but I also was determined not to get myself back into that situation again. There was a real appreciation. Maybe, maybe some of you have experienced something in your life where you've had something that was a burden on you and it's been taken off. Um, but uh, maybe some, some of you here today may have never known what it is to have your mistakes or your failings or the things that you've messed up in, your wrong thoughts, your words and actions, completely wiped, clean and forgiven. It's an amazing thing. You know, that is what Christianity is about. It is about having the slate wiped clean. It's about saying, I've totally blown it. And God's saying, actually, 
it's clean, it's made, you've made right with me again. And uh, I want to say that that invitation for you to experience and know that kind of forgiveness is open to every single one of us. And that's, that's, how, that's the starting point of how we become Christians. That we, can be, we are made right with God because we receive his forgiveness. You know, I think that if you, at coffee time, if we were bold enough and we could all share the stories of the amazing debts that God has let us off the hook in our lives, uh, the things that we've messed up in, maybe they're things you've never told anybody. But if all of us here have a story of forgiveness for something, it's an amazing thing what God has done. But in this story, the servant went out after he'd been forgiven amazing debt, and he found a fellow servant who owed him a hundred denarii. Now that's not a lot of money at all, that's probably like 20 pounds. And he demanded to be paid, and he showed no mercy, and he had his fellow uh, servant thrown into prison. Now sometimes, I think because I know, know myself and I know what human nature is like, I think we can be so, become so consumed with ourselves and take ourselves so seriously that when people offend us or contradict us or don't do things our way, we throw them into prison with our unforgiveness. I know that sometimes people have used the analogy that unforgiveness is like drinking poison and waiting for another person to die, and that is true. But I think that when we don't forgive, we actually put other people in prison. And uh, they might not even show that it's causing them pain, but it's a very painful thing when you hold resentment towards someone. I'm sure all of us have been in a position where you've hurt someone or offended someone, and uh, I suppose you just have to be in in church leadership for any length of time and you will offend someone somewhere along the line. Um, But I think that forgiveness is something that God wants us to learn to how to extend. But there are different things. Sometimes you might think, you know, well, the thing that I need to forgive is not just a hundred denarii. It is a lot more than that. Well, compared to what God has done for you, it is just a hundred denarii. But you might feel that it is too big for you. What about if, if you've been abused in your life? And there's so many different kinds of abuse. That's something you never ask for. It's something that's happened to you, you've become a victim of. Maybe it was sexual abuse or physical or verbal or emotional abuse. I've, I've experienced two situations in my life where I've experienced some abuse, and that's, both of those were emotional abuse. But it's a, it's a very difficult thing when someone tries to, in the situation I was in where someone was trying to break down my self-esteem and then uses, used gifts to try and um, kind of curry favor again, and it was a cycle of that. But there was a sense of courage to actually recognize it and then to say no. Because when we are caught in a situation of abuse, does that mean that we shouldn't forgive? But then how do we get out of the abusive situation? And I think forgiving does not mean you keep yourself sitting under that abusive situation. And it's so important that we can say, I forgive you, I can, let, I can get myself out of this prison because of this relationship, but I'm putting up boundaries, I'm not allowing that abuse to continue. And I want to say to you, one of the 
most important things is if you are in an abusive situation, is that you, you tell someone. Sometimes it takes a lot of honesty to admit that that's what's going on because sometimes it's very subtle. But you need to tell someone so that you can put up boundaries that are, can protect you. But go a step further than that and let God take you to that place of being able to forgive because that's how you'll be able to move on. But what about also when we, we have resentment or unforgiveness because someone has disappointed us, someone has let us down. And I don't think we all have to be, I think everybody here has experienced disappointments where we felt like someone didn't live up to the expectations that we had. And perf- people are not perfect. People are going to let us down. I'm sure there's no, no one here that doesn't think that. <laughs> maybe, maybe when you're young you think that there's idealism that everyone is somehow wonderful, but we, we are all imperfect. And uh, I think that often what happens when there's a loss of, when there's disappointment and our expectations haven't been met, sometimes that's where there's a break in trust and there's a loss of respect. And we sometimes have to win that back when we've let people down. But I think that unforgiveness can be used as a way to punish someone, to constantly show your disapproval or to fight your corner. But the Lord always says, vengeance is mine. I will vindicate you. I will defend your cause. And as soon as we withhold forgiveness, we're basically saying, God, I'm going to be the one who shows this person what's right. And you know what I think is that is actually, in a very strange way, a kind of legalism because we become the law. So it's the law of Helen. The law of Helen says these are the expectations and this person has disappointed me and I will let them know my disapproval. And uh, we can become almost like a law to people when we don't forgive them. And the law does this amazing thing that the Bible says it points out your faults without helping you um, to do anything about it. Whereas grace forgives your faults, it loves unconditionally, it enables and strengthens and it has compassion. So this is not an, an easy thing I'm saying. I know that we all go through these things. But I want to say unforgiveness, just keep, it's like being in a prison for yourself and for the person that you don't forgive. Paul said, let love be genuine. And I think if we have unforgiveness in our hearts, you can't fake love. Um, I think people can sense your reserve or the coolness of unforgiveness. Um, And the Lord really, I believe, takes this very seriously because it grieves him when we despise the mercy that he's shown us by not showing it wholeheartedly to others. We can't fake forgiveness. And this is the evidence of forgiveness, is when you've really forgiven someone, we don't sulk with them. So you might think of this in your homes, in your family, if there's patterns of sulking. Those are things that are really we have to all challenge. And I know that sometimes I can just be silent with Ant just to let him know that was I hated what you said there. But it's it's something we almost have to like be conscious of and not not allow to fester in our lives. Um, We genuinely begin to take an interest in the person. We pray for blessing on their lives. We speak kindly about them when they're not there. And we engage with them with genuine affection. All of these are are evidence that we really have forgiven. 
Um, how can we hold on to our anger and our vindictiveness when God has forgiven us again and again and done so much for us by sending his son to, to die for us? He's given, forgiven us of everything. There's not a single thing in your life he holds against you. There is no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. Think of the worst thing you've done right now. He doesn't hold it against you. He's totally written off our debt. So for us to be forgiving is to be like God. It's to let the image of God shine out from us. Um, And the story, the power of the story is that this matter of forgiving others is so important to God that when we don't, it says he withholds his forgiveness from us. Now, I know know people are sometimes puzzled by that because does that mean we lose our salvation if we don't forgive others? But we must remember that forgiveness and justification is not the same thing. Justification, when we get saved, that takes place in the courts of heaven and it only happens once when you get saved. Um, When we come to faith in Jesus, we're justified, we're declared right in the eyes of God and it's something that can never be lost. You'll never, if you're a child of God, you can know that you'll never not be a child of God. You can mess up. Our boys, they'll always be our boys. They can mess up and do the worst things. They'll always be our boys. And that's how it is with God. Once you're his child, you're his child, it's a done deal. Okay? But can you get upset when your children do naughty things? Yes, a good dad and mom probably gets upset when their children do naughty things. And forgiveness is a bit like this in that way. So forgiveness and justification are not the same. Forgiveness is when a bad relationship is healed. It's not a legal matter. It's the experience that we have when we know God's got nothing against us. It's the feeling of the good relationship that we have with God. Um, But God won't give us that sense that everything is well with him when we withhold forgiveness from others. The Bible speaks of us grieving the Holy Spirit and our unforgiveness will almost cause us to sense a lack of God's pleasure in us. And uh, I think that God, in a sense, holds his sense of mercy to us when we withhold mercy to others. And that's his way to lead us to repentance and to restore our good relationship with him. You know, I think when we mess up, we're very eager to forgive ourselves Although sometimes I think there's some that need to learn to be more gracious with themselves. Some people are very hard on themselves. But we're all very eager to forgive ourselves when we mess up. We find excuses for ourselves and reasons why our sins are not so bad. But what we do for ourselves, we should also do for others. That there should be a culture in this family that we choose to believe the best of each other. You believe the best of yourself. (laughs) You know, actually, oh, I didn't really mean it in that way. Well, can we believe that of each other? That actually we can give each other the benefit of the doubt? Because I think sometimes when we are unforgiving, it it can produce blind spots in us. 
And we can be so consumed with everyone else's wrongdoing that we cannot see our own failings. And I know that's been true like in our marriage as well. I can um, sometimes think, oh, look at ants being that, 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 that. And then I can't see actually, look how I'm being like this and this and this. So sometimes when we are so consumed with someone else, we can't see what God's trying to say actually about our own life. Psalm 86 verse 5 says, You, O Lord, are good and forgiving, abounding in steadfast love to all who call on you. And if we can call on God, and he can show us such great forgiveness, may others not also call on us and find that we can forgive them as readily as God does. I suppose the greatest example of forgiveness is, of course, Jesus. He forgave Saul of Tarsus. Um, Saul was a man who was going around killing Christians. He was a murderer. He's probably like that man that we saw in the dock, in the court, in that clip. He was killing people left, right, and center and decimating the church. Jesus chose that man to be the man to proclaim the gospel. You know, I don't know what our forgiveness might unlock in someone's life that actually releases the grace of God to to do something powerful in them. Maybe that man who got forgiven got saved and was able to lead other prisoners to Christ. I don't know. What about Jesus forgave Judas who betrayed him and handed him over to his death? And you know, always, all the way through the story of Judas, Judas was the betrayer of Jesus, one of his close friends who really disappointed him. But all the way, Jesus offers him ways out and tries to help him out of his wickedness, and he doesn't expose him to anyone. How amazing is that? So much we want to just expose someone because of what they're doing to us, and he doesn't do that. How fully and freely he forgives us. I will remember their sins no more, says God. Now how can an all-knowing God forget something? How can an all-knowing God forget something? It says he will not remember our sins. But the Bible is very clear on this, and it gives us this assurance that God forgives and forgets. He forgives and forgets. He does not have our sins on his mind. He does not have your sins on his mind. He's not thinking about them. They are covered by the blood of Jesus. He is not remembering them. You know, when Peter said, how many times should I forgive? Seven times? Jesus says 70 times seven. Because Jesus was saying, forgiveness is a way of life. It's a way of life. And God asks us to be like him in having a never-ending spirit of forgiveness. You know, you can go and forgive that person that hurt you, and they're going to hurt you again tomorrow. And you're going to say, but I already forgave them. I'm not going to forgive them again. No, it's a never-ending spirit of forgiveness. We walk in forgiveness all the time. And if you have been tested in that area, can't just have blessed. It's because you're learning to understand the power of the gospel that you who have been forgiven can be like God and forgiven too. It's an amazing privilege. You wouldn't think of it like that, eh? It's an amazing privilege. But maybe you are in prison today because you're struggling to forgive someone. Do you remember when I read Isaiah 61, it says, he's come to set the captives free. 
I believe captives are those who are bound up with hurt and difficult things. But prisoners are those who cannot forgive. And there's an invitation this morning to say, God, I don't want to be in this prison anymore. I don't want to be drinking poison, waiting for someone else to die. I want to be out of this prison. The invitation this morning, the Lord is giving you the key, and he's saying, you can forgive. My favorite story of forgiveness is Corrie Ten Boom. She was in the concentration camps in, in Holland. Just absolutely terrible experiences if you read her, her autobiography. And uh, one time, these poor women, they were, must have been maybe 45 kilograms. They were just skin and bones. And they were stripped down naked in front of all these guards who were jeering and cheering at them. And then they were sent into these horrible showers. It was just total lack of dignity. And then she just describes some of these experiences. And then after the war, she's going around to different churches and she's preaching about forgiveness. Maybe a bit like Nelson Mandela, <laughs> trying to say, let's forgive all these hard things that have happened. And she's preaching and she's saying, you must forgive, you must forgive. And at the end of the meeting, she, it says in a traditional church, she's standing at the door, shaking hands with everyone. And this man came to her and shook her hands and he said, Fraulein, he said, will you forgive me? And she looked up and it was one of the prison guards. And she had just preached that you better forgive no matter what someone's done to you. And she said in her heart of hearts, she did not feel like forgiving this man even though she had just preached. That bitterness, that resentment, it all just came straight up as she recognized his face. But then she did what she knew she had to do, and she said, I forgive you. And as she did that, the Holy Spirit just came and filled her, and faith rose in her heart, and she meant what she said. She was obedient, and God met her in her place of obedience. Maybe you don't feel like forgiving. Maybe forgiveness is for you one of the hardest things you've ever been asked to do. Because I'm not trying to minimize what's been done to you or the disappointment or the hurt that you've experienced. I'm not minimizing it. I'm not trying to say that wasn't real. Because forgiveness doesn't do that. It doesn't say you, d- you weren't hurt. You were hurt. But the invitation this morning is to say, don't let that hurt stay on your back. Don't let it crush your heart. Don't let it be the label on your life anymore. You can take your hand and by faith, by obedience, say, God, I forgive that person and he will meet you in that place and he will give you the grace to make that real. Let him take your pain this morning. He's offering you the key. I just feel one of the, I know when we have communion, it's, one of the things that it says is if you have, if your brother has something against you, go make right with him and then come and bring your offering or um, share together. And before we take communion this morning, I just want it to be more of a reflective time. Maybe there's something, there's someone when I've been speaking and you know you need to forgive that person. You know, I, I realize this in life, you don't have to wait for someone to say sorry before you forgive them. Because actually that may never happen. Sometimes the people who've disappointed us don't even know they have. 
They don't even understand how they have. They will never know the depth of, of what they've done in your heart. But they don't need to know that you need to forgive. And you know what? God is so good. He vindicates. If, if um, I think of David and Saul, you know, David was uh, a man that God had chosen and Saul was just out to get him. David didn't know what he had done, but whenever he played his harp, David threw spears at him. And David had every right to just go for, for Saul, and he had a chance to kill him, but he didn't. And sometimes, when we've been wronged, we often see ourselves as David, and the other person as Saul, who's throwing spears at us. But I want to say that sometimes, when we hold on to unforgiveness, we become a Saul. We think we're the David, but we start to behave like the Saul and throw spears at the person. Let God be the one who vindicates you. Let God be the one who, who justifies your cause. He is not blind to the things that you've gone through. He will make it right. Don't do it yourself. It's not your place. Vengeance is mine, says the Lord. That is another quality. God is a God of mercy, but he's also a God of justice. But he, he loves mercy. And he wants us to be merciful first and foremost in every way. So, um, and if I can ask, I'm just going to um, <clears throat> suggest that we just quieten ourselves and let God speak to you. And when you feel it's right, you go and help yourself to communion. And just reflect on this. If you want to pray with someone, if there's someone you need to say I'm sorry to or say I forgive you to, then, then do that. If that's in this, it might be someone that's not even here. It might have happened when you were a child. I have one of those things that was hard for me happened when I was a child. And I, I, I have to keep forgiving that person because actually sometimes it comes back again. And you know, it's a lifestyle of forgiveness that we choose to forgive all the time. Okay, don't let God have his way this morning. And let's walk out not prisoners, not captives. Let's walk out free because God's giving us the key this morning.